Find out what the whole world is thinking in the agenda. This week on the agenda, the future of driving. But are electric vehicles facing a bumpy road to global dominance? Electric vehicles are now the only growth area in the global passenger vehicle market. Sales have tripled over the past three years, from 3 million to 10 million in 2022, with 14 million electric car sales predicted by the end of 2023, generating revenue of more than $560 billion. People are still buying more conventional cars with internal combustion engines. 63 million were sold in 2022, but that's down by a quarter in the last five years, while EV sales go up. Government policies and stricter emission standards have helped accelerate the adoption of electric cars around the world. Three markets dominate global sales, China, Europe, and the United States together making up about 95% of the market. But more than half of all new EV cars sold last year were in China alone. That's more electric vehicles sold than the rest of the world combined. Outside these major markets, EV sales are generally low because of the lack of charging infrastructure, high production and raw materials costs. Those chips and batteries are expensive and the premium prices of electric vehicles in general. That's why automakers are pushing to make EVs mass market. And China is in the fast lane. For more than a decade, the sector has received billions of dollars in government support. And it's China's BYD who's become the top-selling EV brand in the world, surpassing Tesla this year. So those are the figures. Now let's dig deeper into the facts. And with me now is David Bailey, Professor of Business Economics at the University of Birmingham. Thanks for coming on the agenda, Professor. Now we're talking about what's driving growth and, and where the bumps in the road are um, for the electric vehicle market. But have they really made a dent in the global car market? I mean, I'm thinking you know, more than 63 million cars with traditional internal combustion engines were sold last year. And while some experts say that the market for those peaked in 2017 and is now in structural decline, those sales figures are still huge, aren't they? Yes, so the internal combustion engine still dominates, but that is changing very quickly. So 10 million uh, battery electric or plug-in hybrid cars sold last year, likely to be 14 million this year. So it's growing extremely quickly. Um, led very much by China, where 60% of the electric car sales are. And what we are seeing is the beginning of this transition away from the internal combustion engine to the electric car, which will take place really over the next decade. So very rapid growth for electric cars. It is fundamentally changing the industry. But in terms of internal combustion engines, they are still around, aren't they? I mean, in the EU, the sale of new ones are going to be banned by 2035. There was an exemption, though, made on behalf of Germany to allow the sale of cars that run on, on synthetic fuels. But what about the, the rest of the world? Can combustion engines really reclaim that lost bit of market share? So what we're seeing is the, the shift towards electric vehicles led very much by China, the west coast of the US because of regulations in California, and Europe, particularly northern European countries, which are pressing into electric vehicles more quickly. 
across the world, we're seeing very different performance. So in terms of sales of electric vehicles, they range from almost 90% of new car sales in Norway, about 30% in China, 20% in the EU, but as low as 0.5% in Chile or South Africa. So it's going to take much longer to make the transition to electric vehicles in other parts of the world where at the moment the cars are expensive, the infrastructure isn't there. They'll be much more reliant on the internal combustion engine for much longer over time. But I think yeah, over time, there will be a transition globally, perhaps to hybrids in the first instance, and then longer term electric vehicles. Now, the electric vehicle market seems to be over that hump of chip shortages and, and the, the challenge of, of keeping up with demand. So what else does the industry still have to contend with? So the chip shortage really did constrain supplies very much, and that was that had a big impact on the industry in general, excuse me, and including electric uh, car sales. What needs to happen in a very big way is that the supply chain uh, is built out rapidly enough in order to make these cars quickly enough to keep up with consumer demand. I mean, that in, in itself is a remarkable achievement in terms of the technology. Not that long ago, trying to persuade people to buy electric cars was very, very difficult. I mean, I was unusual in that I've been driving electric cars for 10 years. So now the situation is demand is outstripping supply. The supply chain really needs to come on stream. Uh, and one of the big issues is about batteries and the need for these battery gigafactories to be built in sufficient numbers to actually make the batteries for the cars. And again, China has very much led the world in that. Europe playing catch up. The US going for this in a very big way with very substantial support from Joe Biden through the Inflation Reduction Act. So the race is on to kind of build an EV supply chain in order to meet demand. You talk about the race being on, but there's a real possibility, though, isn't there, that EVs are going to get you know, caught up in this global fight to take control of the, the chip market. Um, and, and indeed, this sort of general frostiness that we're seeing of the relationship between the US and China very much plays into that. Very much so. So these global tensions in terms of uh, trade, but also a desire to reduce reliance on China. China essentially is setting the pace in terms of making electric cars more and more cheaply and making them for the masses. Uh, Europe and the US, unless they act quickly, fear that their industries will essentially be wiped out. So a lot of support is going in in the US through various interventions, including the Inflation Reduction Act, the Chips and Science Act, to build out the supply chain in green technologies and reduce reliance on China. So you're quite right, there is that tension. Interestingly, though, what we are seeing is significant Chinese investment in the US in things like making batteries. So I think over time, what we might see is investment replacing trade and Chinese producers of batteries, but maybe also cars starting to internationalize and produce around the world. David, let's talk about consumers. It's something you, you've mentioned um, just now about how there is a changing um, mindset, but they are still quite cynical about EV ownership. Um, and I'm wondering, is it the lack of charging infrastructure teamed with range anxiety you know, or lacking confidence that there'll be you know, somewhere convenient to charge before the battery runs too low? Yes, I think you're absolutely right. There's a mix of different things. So when we looked at consumer perceptions, there are issues around the technology, about how easy it is to use the cars, issues around range, and also the infrastructure. And what's interesting is if you look at countries like Norway, which have seen very extensive take-up of electric vehicles, you know, 90% of new car sales are electric vehicles, they've thought really holistically about how to tackle those issues 
and make electric vehicles accessible. So not only bringing down the cost through tax breaks, but consumers driving electric cars can drive in bus lanes, park for free, charge for free, finish their journey using public transport. It becomes a no-brainer. So they've thought really carefully about how to integrate electric cars into people's lives. And those issues that you raise are indeed barriers for many people in terms of making the transition. It's getting better because the cost of new electric cars is coming down all the time as battery costs fall, particularly from China. Range of electric vehicles is also improving. And so range is less of an issue now. The issue is more around a kind of not range anxiety, but charging anxiety. Am I going to find a charger on my journey that is available and working? And that's the big issue, I think, in many countries, particularly in the UK, where long distance travel is often quite difficult for electric vehicles. And again, countries have managed that in different ways. China is way out in front in terms of the number of charging points, 1.76 million. There's sort of only eight cars per charger in China, significantly higher ratios in other countries. So again, China leading the way, other countries having to do more in terms of charging infrastructure. But when you also think about how household bills, the cost of that electricity and that energy has surged, certainly over the, the last year, um, that plays into the whole cost too, doesn't it? Yes, it is. So uh, not long ago, if you look at the UK as an example, you know, driving an electric car was much, much cheaper than having an internal combustion engine car. But as electricity prices have come up, that gap has narrowed. Interestingly, it's still a lot cheaper if you charge your car at home because you're buying electricity on a domestic tariff with a low rate of tax. If you charge your car at a public charger, much higher tax rates and much higher costs. So the, the differential between electric cars and petrol cars in terms of cost is much, much narrower. Now, that needs to be addressed. The government has to think about how to make electric cars available for everyone. You know, and in the UK and in many other countries, something like a third of all people don't have a drive on which they can park their car and charge. So if you don't have your own place to charge, that becomes a lot more difficult. So we need to think more carefully about the charging infrastructure and reducing the cost for people in making the transition. I want to pick up on something you mentioned earlier, and perhaps you can elaborate a, a bit more, because you know, it is clear that the EV sector is growing pretty fast in Europe, in the United States, in China. But that does still leave huge parts of the world, um, the whole of Africa um, and most of Asia included. And they're lagging <coughs> way, way behind. So to reap the global climate benefits, that, that, that's going to have to change, um, isn't it? Yes, um, it is. How do, yeah. you, how do you see it happening then? Uh, that's going to be much more gradual. I mean, if you think of, of global car sales, they are very much focused in North America, Europe, China, Southeast Asia. Um, as well as South Africa. So, you know, if, if you can get a quick win across those blocks in terms of a transition to electric vehicles, you are bringing down global emissions quite substantially. In other parts of the world, it's going to be a more gradual transition. That's going to depend on the range of electric vehicles increasing much, much further. It's going to require a much better charging infrastructure. There's also going to be alternative options, I think, in some countries. So whilst I'm critical of the use of synthetic fuels, it may be that, for example, in Brazil, they could continue to use bioethanol, which they can grow in order to continue to use internal combustion engines for a while longer. So I think that we'll see a variety of different transitions, but quickest transition in North America, Europe and China, uh, with a more gradual transition around the world. And there's going to have to be support for that. I mean, this is an expensive business. Um, you know, there's a meeting 
about uh, how the world meets its climate targets and there's going to be a need for the developed countries to help the developing countries make the transition. As part of that, the transition towards EVs needs to be part of the mix. So I think the richer countries have got to help some of the more developing countries make the switch. Professor David Bailey, thank you very much. Thank you. Welcome back to the agenda. China's EV market has accelerated fast, especially in terms of supply chains. So where are the opportunities for collaboration between China and the rest of the world to keep the car market on the electrification track? Joining me now is Bill Russo, CEO of advisory firm Automobility. Bill, thanks ever so much uh, for, for coming on the program. Um, I wanted to start off talking about a KPMG report that says Chinese car makers will capture around 15% of Europe's EV market by 2025. How do you think they're going to do that? Well, it's quite uh, clear that they have a path to do it. Um, obviously, the you know China being the largest EV market in the world now, by far, with 6.9 million units sold, it's 27 0.7% through the first five months of this year, uh, a very localized set of uh, battery supply chain suppliers, which is the highest cost component in an EV. Uh, so all the ingredients are there. And I think you also have a lot of supply pressure now with uh, so much uh, you know, capacity being built up in China uh, that I think that's looking for other markets. This is China's chance to, to really go global. And, and there's already endorsements. I think uh, you know Europe is a market even if it doubles into half the size of China, let's just say it's two, two and a half million units in 2025, 15% of that is, uh, is about 300,000 to 400,000 units of, of volume. I think that's very achievable. Uh, BYD recently announcing a deal with Six to supply vehicles for the rental fleet for Sixth in Europe. Uh, you, you're already seeing the initial entry of the Chinese brands into the market, signing up new distribution partnerships. So I think this is a very achievable goal. And what would all of that mean for the legacy European automakers? You know, how do they perceive this um, rising presence of Chinese electric vehicles in their domestic market? Well, obviously, it's a threat to their dominance, uh, but they're already contending with that here in China. We're seeing the rise of Chinese brands now with the majority share of the Chinese market, which is unprecedented in the modern era. Since the 1980s and the opening of the first Sino foreign JVs, the foreign brands have dominated the Chinese consumer preference. Uh, but that's changed uh, as the EVs have risen to uh, now being a significant share of the market and the Chinese local brands dominating. Foreign brands have to adapt to the new reality on the ground here in China. And the ones that are, are having to learn from that here are going to have to take back those lessons and become more competitive back home as the Chinese brands inevitably bring their value proposition to the rest of the world. And that value proposition is affordability, right? The ability to scale the technology around the EV and deliver EVs at the price points that Chinese companies are able to deliver. That's something that uh, the rest of the world is going to have to uh, cope with. So brand loyalty, the, the technology, those are things you think are going to slide down the list of consumers' priorities. It's all going to be about the price. Not only. Obviously, you have to deliver value uh, for the money, right? And regardless of what your, you know, if you're, whatever your use case is for your everyday need of a, of a vehicle. Uh, and it's going to be a steeper hill. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's a given that Chinese brands have a right to win 
in Europe in particular. You've got very, you know, long relationships and histories of consumers with the brands that they know. The Chinese brands are not known among the European consumers. They're better known in China. They weren't preferred. They didn't have a right to win in their home market, but they've earned that over time as the markets pivoted to electrification. So I think as the European market, which does have a, 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 an, inc an, indi an indication of interest in electrified vehicles, I think a significant swath of that market is looking for affordable technology. And I think the Chinese, because of the size and scale of the EV market here, have a legitimate shot at convincing a large uh, cross-section of the European consumer market uh, to consider the Chinese brand, but they still have to earn uh, the consumer's you know, business, and that's going to take some time to convince, I'm sure. In certain countries, especially Germany, France, Italy, the middle and southern European markets have a bit more deeply rooted traditional automotive industry landscape. And there are also barriers to doing business beyond that brand recognition that you're talking about. You know, the EU is looking at whether to impose additional levies or restrictions, these um, so-called anti-dumping and anti-subsidy investigations on Chinese EVs over fears that imports will flood the European market at a speed and scale um, that will threaten the continent's own production of such vehicles. What's your take on that? Right. Well, first of all, I think, uh, you know, governments have a, a natural interest in protecting and should the interests of their domestic industries, right? So that's not a bad thing to act in the interest of the domestic industry. But I would, I would submit that it's important to also consider that uh, making sure that you're racing with the fastest horse is what's necessary for companies to be competitive in their industry. So it isn't just a threat, it's an opportunity. If you if you compete with the Chinese brands who are capable of delivering a value proposition that's resonating with your customers, then that will in the long run make you a better company. So allowing uh, Chinese competition in, I think is important for that long-term health of an industry. The other th way you, you can look at this is allowing Chinese companies to invest in Europe helps to build up the domestic job base. So the unintended consequence of putting up barriers to entry uh, for exports or for imports in this case coming into markets in Europe is to encourage Chinese companies to set up their supply chains and potentially even manufacturing country, which ensures that the competitors in Europe have access to the, to the, uh, to the scale of China working for their global system, which, which is why you'd want to have Chinese battery suppliers investing in Europe and also uh, gives uh, the opportunity for jobs to be created uh, when Chinese companies inevitably seek to localize uh, their production facilities in the European countries. So you might put up a barrier, but the unintended consequence oftentimes happens, which is it creates the opposite. Instead of keeping China out, it might encourage China to come and invest directly in setting up their production operations right in your backyard. Well, that keeps the sector super competitive. Now, I mean, let's talk about China's um, BYD. They've overtaken Tesla as the top EV selling brand around the world. But can it crack the United States market? Or do you think it's in danger of getting caught up there in the, the tricky current relationship between China and the US? Well, um, Stella Lee, uh, the head of uh, BYD's international operation, recently was quoted as saying that they've deprioritized the U.S. market, and she's based in the U.S. She's based in Los Angeles. B BYD, in fact, does have 
a presence in the U.S. They do make electric buses, which are being sold uh, as school buses into the U.S. market. So they're, it's not like they're not present, but they have put a pause on their entry into the passenger vehicle market in the U.S. So for BYD, that means prioritize other places around the world where their value proposition will work. And I think that is many places. The world's largest and most scaled business for electric vehicles by far is BYD. BYD dominates in China. They have 38% of the new energy vehicle market in China. That's a huge lead over the number two company, which is Tesla, which has about nine point something, about nine point five percent of the market. So they are almost four times bigger than the number two company in China. Their lead in the BEV space, BYD makes both plug-in hybrids as well as pure battery electric vehicles. Their lead in the BEV space is significant, as you said, the world's largest EV maker by volume. So their value proposition will work in many, many markets around the world. Their ability to scale and compete on price is unmatched by any company anywhere else on the planet. So BYD has a wide lane of relevancy uh, to scale their business internationally. I know you talk very much about value, and I keep coming to this price situation, though, because it, it does seem that it is going to be the price that is going to, to win the market, be it Europe, be it the United States, mm -hmm. or any other place around the world. I mean, BYD, they've got an electric hatchback for $11,000. Uh, you know, something Tesla and the like, they, they just can't match that. Right. Well, you know, obviously, if you're a competitor to a company that can do that, you're really worried now because they've shown what, they, what they're capable of doing with the BYD Seagull, which is the $11,000 just announced at the uh, Auto Shanghai uh, EB. And it's well-equipped. It's not, it, it's not like they've, they've cheapened the car. They didn't decontent a car. It's well-equipped car for 11,000, uh, equivalent 11,000 US dollars. So now you've, you've been put on notice as, uh, you know, as, as some of the uh, global comp competitors, Volkswagen, ambition there is 25,000 euro car. Tesla said they want to make a $25,000 EV. Uh, they haven't made one yet. They have plans to do so. But, you know, even if you get there, 25,000 is still about two and a half times what BYD is capable of doing right now. It's been reported that Chinese EV companies have been talking to UK officials about manufacturing in Britain, and we know China's battery giant Goshen, who you just mentioned, is looking to build a new plant in Morocco. So how do you see global cooperation expanding? Is that what the world needs to end the reliance on fossil fuels? Um, I, I, obviously, globalization's benefits have been very uh, significant and, and I think affect everybody in their, in their, in their pocket, right? Globals, the benefits of globalization is you get the best of global scale working for the, the products uh, that you consume. Uh, so having a globalized supply chain, having access to companies that are from the markets that have the ability to scale these technologies is a good thing for the consumer. Encouraging more of that competition to come to the global markets is a way of ensuring that companies are racing with the fastest horse and able to deliver the value proposition that consumers are seeking. So I think it's good that Chinese companies are going global. I think it will make the competition stronger and it will be a better, a good thing for the consumer in the end. Uh, the fact that the UK as a target market, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, MG, 
which is owned by SAIC now. I don't think and they're the, actually the top selling Chinese brand uh, for conventional cars in Europe right now. I'm not even sure a lot of Europeans identify it as a Chinese brand, but MG is, is for certain owned by uh, SAIC. Geely, a Chinese brand, own, owns Volvo, owns 10% of Daimler, uh, Lincoln Co. and Polestar, which are popular brands sold in Europe uh, already. Uh, they are Chinese brands. So sometimes it may not be obvious that these, these companies are Chinese. In fact, in a globalized world, does it really matter? Right? Does it really matter where the brand of uh, country of origin is uh, as long as the consumers are getting the benefit of the most competitive products that, that are available in the, in the world? Bill Rousseau, it's a pleasure. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Coming up on a future agenda, what next for Hong Kong? We'll speak exclusively to the Secretary for Financial Services and the Treasury, Christopher Hui. But for now, from me, Juliet Mann, and from all the Agenda team here in London, goodbye.